Here Matthew writes in the Gospel of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21 through 28. It reads this way, verse 21. Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the district of Tyre and Sidon. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. This morning we're blessed to have a friend come to open the Word of God for us. And we're blessed that his wife can join us as well, Dr. and Mrs. Overstreet. So why don't we give him a warm welcome as he comes. Oh, what a great day, isn't it? Mother's Day is always a great day. That is, if you have a mother. You all do have mothers, right? You know, Pastor Joe mentioned, you've all got one, and, or you've had one. Maybe some of your mothers are with the Lord, but Mother's Day is always a good day. And when the weather's nice like today, it's even better. You know, it could be raining and it could be stormy and all that, but it's really a lovely day. And we're glad to be here with you on this beautiful day. Some of you have been wondering and have asked how my wife's been doing, and she's doing very well, as you can tell. She's looking real perky right now. She's beautiful as usual. And um, we're glad that she's able to be here. We would pray, appreciate your prayers. This Tuesday, she has a little bit more surgery. And sometime after that, we'll start the follow-up treatments of some radiation, some chemotherapy, probably. But we have to meet with an oncologist to find out for sure what's happening there. So uh, just appreciate your continued prayers. As uh, we come to Mother's Day... Maybe uh, some of you have had some interesting things take place in your homes. Uh, Here's some notes that were sent by kids to their moms. See if you can relate to any of these. Uh, Angie wrote to her mom, Dear Mother, I'm going to make dinner for you on Mother's Day. It's going to be a surprise. P.S. I hope you like pizza and popcorn. Or how about this one that Robert wrote? I got you a turtle for Mother's Day. I hope you like the turtle better, better than the snake I got you last year. <laughs> or Eileen wrote, Dear Mother, I wish Mother's Day wasn't always on Sunday. It would be better if it were on Monday. Then we wouldn't have to go to school. <laughs> or how about Diane? She wrote, I hope you like the flowers I got you for Mother's Day. I picked them myself. When Mr. Smith wasn't looking. Or this one from Carol. Dear Mother, here are two aspirins. 
Have a happy Mother's Day. Can you connect with anything like that? Uh, Those are the kinds of things that happen. There's a story told about a lady. She went and knocked at a neighbor's door. And a little boy named Eugene came to the door. He was six years old. And he answered it. And she said, hello, Gene. Are you home all alone? And he said, yes. Mom's in the hospital. And daddy and my two sisters and my two brothers and me were here all alone. No, when mom's not there, you just kind of feel like you're all alone, don't you? Mothers often are willing and eager to give things up for their kids. Have you ever noticed that? I came across a poem that uh, it tries to express this, and it goes like this. The mother writes about her children. You are the trip. I did not take. You are the pearls I cannot buy. You are my blue Italian lake. You are my piece of foreign sky. You are my Honolulu moon. You are the book I did not write. You are my heart's unuttered tune. You are my candle in the night. You are the flower beneath the sun. In a dark sky, a bit of blue, answering disappointment's blow with, I'm happy, I have you. There's a connection that most mothers just have with their kids. And that goes on for a lifetime. You know, sometimes when you're young, and I can remember when I was young, it's getting farther and farther ago, but I can still remember But I know when you're young, you know, and you've got little kids in the family, you often think how hard you pray for them and you wish for them and and you trust that things are going to work well in their lives. And you you just kind of say, I hope I get them through their early years. And so they make it. And then you say, I hope I get them through their elementary school years. And by God's grace, they make it. And then you say, I hope I get them through their teen years and then I can relax. And by God's grace, maybe they make it. And they say, oh, if I can only get them out of college, then things will be all right. But you know what? It doesn't make a difference how old your kids are. They're still on your heart and your mind, aren't they? My mother is uh, 89. And she lives in Tennessee. And I am well past my teenage years. But you know, she still prays for me and my family every single day. She tells me that there's not a day goes by. That she doesn't pray for us. You know, and, and I think, you know, I think I'm a responsible adult at this point. But I am still her son. And we've observed the same thing about our kids. We've got a daughter that lives back in Indiana. And she's got a daughter that's a college sophomore, just finished her sophomore year. So we've got a granddaughter that's just finished her sophomore year in college. And uh, she's still our daughter. And we still pray for her. She called this morning to wish her mom a happy Mother's Day. We have another daughter who lives in Texas. And she's going to fly up here to be with us this week. She arrives tomorrow. She wants to be with my wife during this next surgery time. And she's going to be here for a week. 
and she's got a couple of kids. And they're in, they just finishing ninth grade and seventh grade, and uh, they're still, she's still our daughter. And I know my wife thinks about her and prays for her. And our son, our, our little guy, he's the baby of our family. He's six feet four, weighs about 220, the baby of our family. And now he's marrying, he's got a couple little girls, and we're going to go down and see them this afternoon, and we're going to do some babysitting for the twins. They're almost 17 months old. Well, our son takes his wife out on a date, and he's going to celebrate Mother's Day by allowing his mother to babysit. Does that sound like a plan? Actually, we're kind of looking forward to that. You know, it's, it's always fun to be with the kids. But, you know, no matter how old they get, they're still on your heart. They're still on your mind. But when they go through struggles, when they go through pain and anguish and anxiety, then even more they're on your mind and on your heart. My wife called her mother this morning as we were driving over here. Her mother is 97 years old and just spent a week in the hospital and just came home and uh, my wife called her. And it's kind of a mutual concern where my wife is concerned about her mother, but she's also concerned about her daughter. And it works both ways. It doesn't make much difference how old we get, how old our kids get. A mother's heart goes out to her kids. And when there are struggles and when there are problems and when there are difficulties, it's even more so. And how many times mothers cry out to God on behalf of their kids. We can't begin to imagine, can we? How many times prayers go up to the Lord from mothers? In Matthew chapter 15, we've got one of those examples. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. We have what I've called a mother's prayer. And in your bulletin, you've got an outline with some blanks. And I'm going to try to remember to fill in all those blanks, all right? Now, if I miss one, you just raise your hand and say, Hey, you missed this one. Tell me what it is, and I'll try and fill it in, all right? But Roman number one, we're going to look at three, what I call, three comforting lessons from this example of a mother's prayer. And Roman number one, prayer brings us to the Lord. Prayer brings us to the Lord. You've got this example in Matthew chapter 15 about this Syrophoenician Canaanite woman who comes to the Lord Jesus on behalf of her child. Her child who is demon-possessed. We can't begin to imagine the anguish that this mother went through as she tried to deal with this issue day after day after day. How long had it been going on? We don't know. But it had been going on long enough that this mother's heart is in anguish and is torn by all of the difficulties. And she hears that Jesus has come into the territory and she immediately goes to seek him out. Prayer brings us to the Lord. And it it brings us to the Lord, capital A, in any location. In any location. Notice it tells us in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, that Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon. He had been ministering around the Sea of Galilee, around the city of Capernaum. And he had left Capernaum and he had traveled north and slightly west until he got to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, that area. Now, interestingly enough, as far as the gospel accounts are concerned, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only time Jesus traveled to that area. 
If he went there any other time, the gospel writers do not talk about it. He made this one trip on this one occasion. And I don't believe that was accidental. I believe what the writers are telling us in the scriptures is the fact that Jesus is concerned about people no matter where they are, no matter what the location happens to be. And he takes this journey to meet this particular lady. It's also interesting, while he's there, you read chapter 15, verse 21, down through 28, as he deals with this particular woman. As soon as he finishes dealing with this woman, notice what happens in verse 29. Departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. So he leaves Galilee, travels north to Tyre and Sidon, that area which is in modern-day Lebanon, meets this one woman, interacts with this one woman, as soon as he finishes, he goes back down to the Sea of Galilee. He went completely out of his way to meet the need of one person. Do you ever sometimes think that God just loses track of you, who you are? You know, with all the people in the world, does God really pay attention to me? And the answer is yes. He really does. You've got an example of it right here. Jesus knows exactly where you are. God knows your exact location. And he knows the need in your life. He hasn't forgotten you. So in any location, prayer can bring us to the Lord. Notice also, capital B, in any obstacle. In any obstacle. And there are some obstacles in this passage. And I've listed three, and interestingly enough, last night as I was reviewing this sermon, I thought of a fourth one. So there's actually going to be four. So I've got an A, B, what do I have, a one, two, three? I've got a one, two, three, right? So you're going to have to put in a four. Because I thought of it last night as I was meditating on this passage again. Sometimes that happens. You know, you finish a sermon, and you get all done with it, and then you think, oh, I missed something. So last night I added a point. All right, number one, religious barriers. This woman is a Canaanite. She's not a Jew. Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says so in this text. And this woman's not in that group. There is an immediate religious barrier. She's grown up in the Canaanite religion. By the way, that's, that's ancient. That goes way back into the Old Testament. They were pagans. They worshipped idols. And some of the idols were very uh, bad, immoral, corrupt. That's her background. And yet, Jesus comes to her regardless of the religious barrier, and she comes to him. You know, sometimes we look at people across the world and we say, well, they never come to Christ. They're such and such. Don't underestimate the grace of God. He can bring anybody to himself, no matter what the barrier seems to be. The mother's religion did not deal with her need. And her need brought her to Christ. There's not only a religious barrier, there was a language barrier. Jesus ministered in the land of Israel, the land that in that area they spoke Aramaic. Now, it may be that the good, educated Jews, they also spoke Hebrew. But she grew up in an area where she spoke Syrian. She didn't speak Aramaic. She didn't speak Hebrew. Now, maybe she spoke Greek, and maybe he spoke Greek. Maybe that's the language they used. But there was a language barrier. 
you know, Jesus grew up in an area where the language was Hebrew and Aramaic. She grows up in an area where the language is Syrian. They don't speak the same basic language. And yet they still communicate. I don't know how many languages there are across the world today. They estimate that there are thousands, five, six thousand different languages spoken across the world, not counting dialects and various tribes. You're talking about Uganda this morning. Our son and his church, they are adopting a tribe in um, Niger. I call it Niger. But if you live there, you call it Niger. And they're adopting a tribe. And our son had a, had a picture of that whole area. And while there may be countries with defined borders like Nigeria and Niger and so forth, there are numerous people groups, each with their own dialect within those nations. Even in our country, we have multiple languages that are spoken, don't we? Now, we have English as our primary language in America, but there are numerous other languages. You ever go to SeaTac and look at the languages that are there? You know, when you're in, you're in the um, shuttle cars that take you underground. What do they call those things? The Underground Railway. I don't know what it is. There's a, there's a word for it. But anyway, whatever it is, uh, you ever notice how the signs come up in, in languages that are different than English? Uh, we, we live in a culture where there are multiple languages. You say, how can God keep track of all those things? Because he's God. There's a language barrier, but that doesn't stop God. And it doesn't stop him from being aware of us. Religious barrier doesn't stop him. Language barrier doesn't stop him. There's also a racial barrier. This woman's a Canaanite. A Phoenician. She's not Israeli. There's a racial barrier. And remember, Jews didn't think well of Gentiles. Remember that in ancient cultures? And they just didn't think well of them. Matter of fact, even today, Jews oftentimes don't think well of Gentiles. They don't trust us. They don't like us in some cases. Uh, There's this gap, this barrier. And Jesus overcomes it. And then the one that I thought of last night. There's a gender barrier. A gender barrier. In that day, it just wasn't done that men interacted with women. That just didn't happen. That just wasn't the case. Especially if you were a rabbi. If you were a rabbi, and Jesus was considered one... If you were a rabbi, you just didn't interact with women. That just wasn't done. But he did. Because he was concerned about this woman. So you've got all these barriers. But regardless of the obstacle, prayer can still bring us to the Lord. And it still works today. And then capital C under there, in any need... Notice in chapter 15, verse 22, this woman says, it says, this Canaanite woman came from the region. She called, she came to Jesus and she said in verse 22, have mercy on, what's the next word? Me. By the way, who's demon possessed? Her or her daughter? This is not a trick question. You, know, you can respond. 
Who's the, who's the one that's demon-possessed? Is it the woman? It's the daughter. But when she comes to Jesus, she says, have mercy on me. Now, why did she do that? I'm convinced it's because as far as this mother was concerned, the affliction of her daughter was her affliction as well. You ever connect to that? Can you relate to that? When this daughter saw her mother afflicted, when this, when this mother saw her daughter afflicted, as far as the mother was concerned, it was her problem, not just her daughter's problem. I'm sure all of us have been there in one time or another where we've seen someone else in our family that's going through a difficult time and we're right there with it. This morning, when our daughter called, they had a, the, the junior-senior banquet at our grandson's school was last Friday. And our grandson was the president of the junior class, so... He was responsible for putting on this banquet, which means his mother is responsible for putting on this banquet. That was our daughter. And my, our daughter, she's just eager to do all those kinds of things, and I'm sure it was a great banquet. But in the process, she threw her back out. And she spent yesterday in bed, in pain, with her back out. And so she was telling my wife about it this morning. And as we were getting ready to leave, my wife walked across the living room and she says, oh, oh, my back. She says, I think I've got a sympathetic pain. And it works, doesn't it? You feel that? When your kids are hurting, you hurt? That's the way it is with this mother. As far as she was concerned, it was her problem just as much as her daughter's. And she's crying out for the mercy of God. Prayer brings us to the Lord. Roman numeral two. Did I get all the subpoints in Roman number one? Okay. Roman numeral two. Prayer keeps us with the Lord. Prayer keeps us with the Lord. And it keeps us with the Lord through, capital A, our approach. Through our approach. Notice in verse 22 how she approached the Lord Jesus. She comes to him and she says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. She comes to the Lord and she says, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Now, son of David was a messianic title. Son of David connected Jesus to the nation Israel. It was a phrase that was used in the Jewish writings of that time in expectation of the coming Messiah of Israel. This woman comes to Jesus and claims with him that a a relationship, as an Israelite would claim, to the coming Messiah. The problem is, she's not an Israelite. She has no claim on him as the Messiah. She used the wrong approach. So, what's God going to do about that? She's not an Israelite. She has no claim on him as an Israelite. 
He is not her coming Messiah. He's Israel's Messiah. So what's she going to do? What's he going to do? That brings me to capital B, the response. His response. Notice verse 23. He did not answer her a word. He just ignored her. Whoa. That's number, that's number one under that. His seeming silence. He just, he just doesn't answer her. Now, how would you have felt? You come to the Lord. You believe He can heal. You've heard stories about the miracles He's done. You come to Him and you say, Have mercy on me, Son of David. And He won't even talk to you. And you think, How cruel. How terrible that was of him to do that. No, as a matter of fact, that was grace. Because she has no claim on him as Israel's Messiah. If he answered her, he would have had to say, No, I don't belong to you. You don't belong to me. Sorry, we have no connection. If he would have spoken, that's what he could have and should have said. So he doesn't say anything. And in the silence, what we have is God's grace. Instead of responding negatively, he just doesn't respond at all. That may seem strange to us, but it's exactly what she needed. He was being gracious and kind to her in the process. And keep this in mind. Silence does not mean deafness. Just because the Lord is silent, that does not mean He has not heard. He heard, but He chose not to respond yet. His seeming silence. Number two, His seeming neglect. We read on in verse 23. His disciples came and implored him, saying, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. Okay, Jesus won't listen to me. I'll talk to the disciples. Can you imagine the pandemonium of what's going on? Here you've got the 12 disciples, and they're all there listening to Jesus, trying to be with him. And this woman keeps interfering. You can just see her going up to Peter and saying, excuse me, what's your name? Peter. Peter, I need some help. Peter says, ah, and she goes over to John. What's your name? John, I need some help. And ah, and and she just makes her way down the list. And before long, the disciples come to the Lord and say, Lord, get rid of this woman. And he's just sitting there watching all this take place. It's hard for us to imagine this. And he's just sitting there watching it all transpire in front of him. And finally he responds. And you've got it in number three, his seeming refusal. Verse 24, verse 23, of 24. He answered and said, and by the way, who is it that now talks to him? It's his disciples. He's answering in verse 24 to the disciples. And he says to them, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
He speaks to the disciples, but the woman's still there. She hears the words. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. By the way, did you ever stop to think? Israel was, was God's chosen people. Jesus came to this earth as Israel's Messiah. If Israel's lost, how much more the rest of us are. By the way, the word translated lost here, it's the same word translated perish in John 3.16. Remember that verse? For God so loved the world that he gave his begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not be lost, but have eternal life. That's the same word that's used here. We're all lost without Christ. He says, I was, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And she picks up on it. And that brings us to Roman numeral three. Prayer gains its reward from the Lord. Under that, capital A, by its persistence. Notice verse 25. She picked up on what he said. And she came back in verse 25. And she came and she began to bow down before him. And this time, notice what she says. Lord, help me. You ever start to think sometimes when you pray, you don't need to have a long prayer? There are times when it's great to pray long. There, there are times when we can talk about all the attributes of God when we pray. We can thank Him for being eternal and omnipotent and omniscient and everlasting. We can talk about all the sovereignty that He has. We can talk about how marvelous He is and how awesome His character is and how He's the creator of the world and all the universes. But there are times when we just need to say, Lord, help. This is one of those times. She just comes and she says, Lord, help me. And the idea is, she keeps repeating it, Lord, help me. This woman's persistent. A mother's heart just doesn't give up. Mothers who love their kids, they just don't quit. I know sometimes kids go astray. I know sometimes they cause aches and pains. But I've seen mothers that endure through it all. They just don't quit. And that's the way this one is. What a blessed prayer we find here. Simple, direct, straightforward, persistent. She came as a sinner needing help. And she calls out for help. And now we bring it to capital B by our submission. In verse 26 and 27, we have what seems to be a very strange reply from the Lord. Verse 26, finally he speaks to her. Verse 26, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. Now, in in New Testament times, they had two different words that they used for dogs. Now, most of the dogs that roamed through Palestine were wild scavenger dogs that just created problems. You know, they roamed through the streets in packs. And they ate up things and attacked people and they were not looked upon with favor. That's not the word Jesus uses here. 
There was another word that was used about dogs that were pets. That's the word he uses. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you have pet dogs? Let me see your hands. Oh, look at all the dog lovers. All right, good for you. Uh, We don't have dogs at our house because my wife is allergic to dogs. So that takes care of that. We used to have a dog, but he was an outdoor dog. Couldn't bring him in the house. So that brings me to my next question. How many of you have dogs that are in the house? Oh, look at that. All the same people. You've all got inside dogs. How many of you have big dogs inside the house? Oh, look at that. All right. But they're still pets, right? All right, pet dogs. Okay, next question. How many of you, when it comes time to eat, your dog gets under the table? Let me see your hands. Oh, look at that. There's a few of you. Some of you keep your dog away from the table. All right, now the final question. How many of you, when the dog is under the table... Ever let the dog have some of the table food? How many of you? Ah, look at it. Guilty people. All right. The numbers keep getting smaller. But you, can, you get the point. There's a, there's a commercial on TV, and I have no idea what they're advertising. But whatever it is, the, the little boy is sitting there, and he doesn't want to eat dinner. And it shows one of the scenes. He feeds it to the dog. I have no idea what the commercial's about, but I love seeing the dog eat the food. All right. That's the that's the picture of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, here you've got here you've got the table and you've got the kids sitting around the table and the dogs underneath the table. He's the pet dog, but he's still a dog. All right. Are you going to take the food away from the kids and not feed the kids so you can feed the dog? You take food away from the kids so you can feed the dog? No. All right. She raised her hand. Uh, let's see. Somebody else. Does one of you raised the hand. Do you have a dog under the table? Do you ever give up your food and not eat your food so the dog can eat? No. All right. Somebody else had a hand up. Who else has a dog under the table that sometimes gets fed? Somebody else had a hand up. Who is it? Oh, two. All right. Do you feed the dog and skip the kids? No. We always feed the kids. Jesus said, you can't take away the food from the kids. He's talking about Israel. I'm not going to take the grace of God that can go to Israel. I'm not going to remove that and give it to you Gentiles. I'm not going to do that. And the woman picks up on that as well. She picks up on this pet dog idea. And she answers... Yes, Lord, verse 27. But even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, here's what she's saying. Lord, the master has an abundance on the table. There's plenty for the kids. And there will be some crumbs that fall over the edge. And the dog will eat those. Lord, all I want are the leftover crumbs of God's grace. That's what I'm asking. Just give me the leftovers. Now that's faith. And she accepted it. And that brings me to capital C. To our blessing. Verse 28. Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. 
It shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Healed at once. Jesus never saw the daughter. The daughter was off somewhere else. Jesus never saw her. That didn't stop him from doing the miracle. This is an amazing thing. You notice this woman has great faith. Read through the book of Matthew sometimes and just notice how many times Jesus observes that someone had great faith. Now, more times you'll find that they have little faith. In case you're wondering, I'll tell you how many times. You'll find it twice. That's all. You'll find it here in Matthew chapter 15. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 8. Between verses 5 and 13. And in that case, it was a Roman centurion who had great faith. I find it just fascinating Only twice does somebody have great faith. In one case, it's a Roman centurion. And in the other case, it's a Syrophoenician Canaanite woman. In neither case is it an Israeli. It's the outsiders. And in both cases, Jesus responds. Because he came to give his life for everybody. The lost sheep of Israel? Absolutely. But he also came to give it to the rest of the world as well. This woman had great faith. What is great faith? What is it? What what distinguishes great faith from normal faith? I read a definition of it. Warren Wearsby said it this way. Maybe some of you have read some of his stuff. He said, great faith takes God at his word and doesn't let go. I think that pretty well wraps it up. This woman comes to Christ and she simply won't let go. Just won't let go. Through all the problems, through all the difficulties... Through his silence, through the disciples wanting to send her away, to the fact that he referred to her as a dog, as a pet animal underneath the table, she just won't let go. And he responded. You know, the Lord still responds. When mothers pray, when dads pray, when kids pray. The Lord still responds. Sometimes he doesn't respond as quickly as what we'd like. Sometimes he doesn't respond in the way that we think is best. But he always responds in the right way. He did to this woman. He was silent for a while. But he wasn't deaf. He knew. He understood. And she wouldn't quit. An example of a mother's prayer. It's an example for your life and for mine. Now, I'm not a mother. 
But her example challenges me as well. To be the kind of person that comes to the Lord in faith and says, Lord, I'm going to take you at your word and I won't quit. I may not get the answer as quickly as I want. I may not get the the answer exactly the way I want it. But I'm not going to quit. I'm going to take you at your word. Your word says that you love me. Your word says that you died for me, Lord Jesus. Your word says that you care for me. Your word says that you've given me a home that is eternal in the heavens. I'm going to take you at your word. Your word says that you care for me. I'm going to take you at your word. Your word says that you love me. I'm going to take you at your word. And I'm not going to let go. That's an example for you today as well. Don't let go. Here's an example of a Canaanite. Syrophoenician. Gentile. Pagan. But she came to Christ. And in him, she found the grace of God. And that grace is still abundant. For you and me today. So let's claim it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. It's abundantly available to all of us who call upon you in faith. This mother's prayer was persistent. It wasn't presumptuous, but it was persistent. And Lord, you honored her for it. Father, we realize that sometimes we're tempted to hesitate in our prayer lives because we question a silence of God. But your silence doesn't mean you're not listening. And just because we don't get what we want the way we want it doesn't mean you're not faithful because you are. So, Lord, help us to be persistent in our own prayers and believe that the reward will come at the right time and it will bring our blessing. Help us to put our faith in the Lord and nowhere else. Work in us. Bring us to yourself and the marvels of your grace. Let us be persistent in our faith. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.